welcome to iPhone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 52 of I4O. So a full disclosure, 100% apology for last week. We had some scheduling errors and couldn't really get everyone together. So um, just wanted to take an off week just to kind of get everybody on the same page. But this week, um, trying something a little different. So welcome and uh, get ready to join me on this adventure that will be um, the latest in technology news so yeah let's jump right into the first topic so for today's episode um we have a nice little mishmash kind of amalgam of news for you guys today so just to dive right into the first topic sorry i'm running the whole show myself so you have to bear with me here for the people who are watching live but um south african medical engineers have built an EpiPen replacement that costs only are 200 a shot, which is the South African currency. Um, this equates to about 16 US dollars, which is mind-blowingly low compared to any previous EpiPen device. And anybody who knows somebody who has um, who has who's diabetic or needs some kind of uh, or not diabetic and who needs these EpiPen shots due to allergies uh, knows that these can be incredibly expensive. Um, and I'm sure you've heard about the racketeering scheme um, that was run by the U.S. company. I believe they're in the article here. The name Mylan, um, which was reportedly raising the cost of their EpiPens to be up to $600 per two-pack. Um, so, yeah, the the this is a huge market that needs to be disrupted, and it's really important because people who have the need for an EpiPen, this is something they use that could save their life in a given situation. Um, so the name of this product is called the ZB Pen, and it delivers a shot of adrenaline in the form of a replaceable uh, cartridge. So the cost of the pen is uh, 1000 of the unit. I'm not familiar with the name. Let's actually, you know what? Let's find that out. It is called the Rand. So, okay. So now that we have that information together, and good morning, chat. Just noticed that uh, chat's active today as well. Um, but yeah, so for the cost of 1,000 Rand, which is still substantially cheaper than the cost of an actual EpiPen. And they're going to be testing it to make it last up to five years, as opposed to the um, one and done EpiPen that we currently have. So it'll be really nice to see this actually go through all the testing and make it to market. Uh, this is just the initial creation of the product and uh, proof of concept. Um, so yeah, just to run some numbers by you. So like I said, this pen is going to run for 1000 Rand, which is um, not even, it's like not even, it's one sixth the cost of the two pack of the EpiPen, which costs 7,500 Rand. Um, and it will only last up to 18 months and it can be used once. So the EpiPen is literally worse than this in every single way. Um, but yeah, so they were the, the rising cost of the EpiPen has seen the class action lawsuit, like I said, and um, 
another challenge that this company solved that not a lot of people have given much merit to is um, customizability per patient. So um, uh, this this addresses the complaints that um, the EpiPens were built off of the length of the average male. Um, and the needle length may not be long enough for it or maybe too long in some worse scenarios for, say, a small child or um, for someone who is obese or someone who doesn't have the same bone structure as an adult male. Um, because there is an issue where if children accidentally use longer needle devices, they could end up fracturing their femur, which is never a good thing. Um, but yeah, so... Another, um, this is just just all around better. I I don't see a problem with this. Assuming this does make it to market and come through, then this is a game changer for this industry. And this disrupts a huge market that needs to be disrupted. Um, So... The, in April, the device placed second and was awarded a full technical and market evaluation by the Medical Industry Leadership Institute at, at the Emerging Medical Innovation Competition. So um, they were in, they independently validated the product uh, and still looking for an investment. Um, they intend to raise six million rand to take it to market under their company Impulse Biomedical. So anybody who has an EpiPen, um, the future could be bright. So... Just keep that in mind when you're moving and looking for a potential replacement in the future, and you won't have to spend that much money for that much longer. Um, But yeah, so like I said, welcome everybody um, to the solo show today. So just wanted to remind people that we have a bit of a different show format today, so not a big deal, but still good. Um, And I hope everybody is enjoying their Memorial Day weekend before I dive into the next topic. So, all right, moving right into the next topic. Um, We complained about this probably in, oh, I don't know, probably late summer or fall of last year when the FCC was taking comments for the, um, they were taking comments for the repeal of net neutrality. Now, the senators are demanding the FCC answers for fake comments after their identities were stolen. So um, we did report on the fact that um, some people were were seeing comments that they don't remember leaving under conflicting viewpoints that they don't share. And um, it seems that now this is making itself, it's making its way all the way up to Capitol Hill as the senators are slowly realizing that this isn't just them so um but this is this is great (laughs) because once these guys realize something's wrong then they will fight tooth and nail to change it because you know they probably won't do anything else in any other way so i mean it is what it is but um but yeah so Two senators called on the FCC to investigate the identity theft and fraud in public comments collected by the agency during its proposal to protect the rollback of net neutrality or to its proposal to roll back net neutrality protections last year. Um, So good old Pat Toomey, Republican from Pennsylvania, and Jeff Merkley, um, a Democrat from Oregon, are among the estimated 2 million Americans whose identity um, were stolen to file comments with the FCC without their consent. So 
good old Pat Toomey. Once he realizes something's not going right, then you know he's going to shoot for it to get it changed. Um, but yeah, so it's this is an important process that I think should not be tampered with. And the fact that there even is evidence, let alone confirmation from senators that the comments were tampered with, should discredit and remove the validity of the entire pool, right? Like, I don't understand why this is an issue and why this, why these comments are being or have any weight to them. I think there should be a highly validated, highly monitored process in which people can place their comments and have them verified that it actually is them. And that's it. (laughs) Like, I don't see a reason why, why this is, why, why it's come this far even. So, uh, it's an essential, they say, it's an essential part of our democracy and allows Americans the opportunity to express their opinions on how government agencies decide important regulatory issues. As such, we are concerned about the aforementioned fraudulent activity and prevent the deliberate misuse of Americans' personal information and ensure the FCC is working to protect against current and future vulnerabilities in its system. And like I said, the fact that it even has come this far is ridiculous to start with but the fact that it's getting attention again is a good thing um and it doesn't seem like it's very clear as to who stole them or or what purpose they were used to serve if it was just someone running a bot against known names um but the the it the fact that it's a bipartisan thing shows that um it's kind of like a it's it's a real issue. It's not like it was all Democratic uh, on the one side or all Republican on the other side. Um, but yeah, so there's no real way to tell how many are stolen. But the fact that we even have two that are confirmed from from highly visible people and people that are not only that, but they work in the public sector as politicians then I think that this should immediately discredit the entire system that the FCC used. And um, it's it's just a huge, it's very inflammatory to to, to think that a, a, a part of our government would take such a vulnerable system as seriously as they are. Because um, we've seen articles throughout the years where the FCC was going back and saying like, oh, the, the comments were pretty diverse. So I don't know about you. They, the, the comments uh, that we've seen here are, um, they're not leaning one way or the other. And it's like, well, okay. That's just because the bot net made different opinions. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how else to word that. Um, so... But yeah, the a majority of the 23 million comments received by the FCC were delivered via form submission. Um, letters pre-written by activists where they signed before clicked and sent. Um, and it, it doesn't help when some of them are fake. Or if you just punch in a fake name, there's no way to validate who's actually sending it. And I mean, I could go on all day about this stuff. And um, I think that it's... It's something to say that when only 6% of the comments were unique, um, they were likely, and millions of them were the same, which indicates that they were submitted by bots or a really well-crafted letter that something a lot of people comment or copy the formatting of. Um, so, I mean, it's 
like the the numbers don't lie here. So they they continue on and it even gets worse. This isn't it doesn't get better from here with this. Um, one independent investigation, according to this uh, Gizmodo article, found more than sixty five percent of the personal data used in the identical FCC letters overlapped with data exposed in breaches. Though the database check against doesn't does contain hundreds of millions of email accounts, many of them are likely still in use and. Uh, the fact that you're working with people who've been potentially exposed to data breaches means that the identification system that they're using is no no longer credible. Excuse me, and I don't, I I don't know. He's the FCC has ignored this, and this is something they can't ignore. And we're seeing this now beginning to work its way through Congress. And uh, while it's encountered some some road, some speed bumps on, along the way. Um, I think that it's moving a little too quickly um, with all the issues that are happening. It seems like things are, are being hastily rushed through. Um, and especially with zero attempt to, to even uh, filter out anything fake. So um, I don't know, but maybe they're worried that it'll backfire against them if they take out all the fake comments. Maybe they're worried that people actually do care about the internet and uh, don't want to, to live in an internet that is ruled by Comcast and AT&T and Verizon. They want an internet that has competition. Um, like I know I was talking about the internet, the place that I'm going to be moving to later this summer. Um, they only have Comcast, so I won't have a choice with my internet. I have to go with Comcast and I have no other option. And that's just how the structure is in the area. So, um, I mean, I digress, but, um, this is an important issue and, uh, it's definitely a really interesting read as well. Um, so I encourage anyone to go through and, and check this out, um, just to get an idea of exactly how bad this is and how badly it needs to be reviewed because this is an important thing. We shouldn't just uh, treat net neutrality as fake as it is. So, um, but like I said, I digress. Um, but yeah, we have a few more topics for you today that are uh, pretty interesting. One of them, and this one I did not see coming, is um, Netflix is now worth more than Comcast. Um this article was written on May 23rd, but um, as of today, the gap is now even wider between Netflix and Comcast. So um, Netflix was able to overtake Comcast in market value this past Wednesday, um, highlighting their dramatic rise in video streaming. And this is obviously just another step towards cord cutting. Um, so. As of Wednesday, uh, Netflix's market value pushed to 149 billion, which was uh, surpassing Comcast's 147 billion. So um, that was just Wednesday. But as of today, I just uh, I, I pulled up the articles just so I could see if things had changed since then. And in fact, things have changed. But overall, uh, Netflix is still way ahead of Comcast. So. I was looking at the market summaries for uh, Netflix and Comcast, which closed on May 25th. And Netflix's market cap, according to the NASDAQ, is at $164 billion, while Comcast 
has actually gone down in value to 142 billion. So Netflix has the, the lead is now widened between Netflix and Comcast, which is really interesting. Um, I didn't expect to see uh, Netflix pass this cable giant. Um, and it makes me wonder if if Netflix is going to try to pivot into offering its own internet solutions later down the line, or if we're going to see the companies that as they start to enter these triple digit billion market valuations and moving upwards into the 200 and the 300 billion, if they're going to have the money to build out a potential infrastructure for this. Um, but this is just another nail in the coffin for Comcast's cable television service. And um, they, uh, the shares have been have risen more than five percent this week, and as I go to double check that in the article, uh, Netflix has risen. They were up half a percent um, as of just yesterday, or as of the twenty fifth alone. Um, and yet, the um, the chat was saying Netflix would buy Comcast, and that could potentially happen if Netflix keeps going up in maybe a year or two, looking to see one of these internet streaming services purchasing the corporation that most people have known as the most evil corporation alive. And, um, and it's, it's like, it's hilarious. It's, it's good to see, but it's also worrying because I mean, you have to look at the other side of the coin. It's only a matter of time until Netflix has more power than it knows what to do with. Um, and, and loses all of its like values with the consumer. Um, they've always been a huge proponent for a fair and open internet, um, but I don't know how long that's gonna last. I don't know how much. Like we've put our stock in in single companies before, and they've eventually slowly adjusted into just cranking out uh, stock numbers for their investors, and then that in the end hurts the consumer. So um, it it's kind of like a, a delicate balance, if you will. Um, I, while I'm happy to see anybody beating Comcast, um, and if anybody. Uh, to make it more ironic, to make it Netflix just makes it even sweeter. But um, I I think this is hilarious. And I think it, it could be dangerous. Um, that being said, I don't know um, what, what this means for the internet. Um, this is going to be something that we're going to have um, to check out and monitor as this develops. Um, but yeah, the shares, um, they've risen more than 5%, which began with the announcement of a multi-year production deal with Barack and Michelle Obama. So um, if you're wondering why there's been a recent stock jump, it's because Netflix has become much more aggressive in um, and relevant in getting new shows. And this Barack and Michelle Obama show is going to be, I think, a, a pretty widely watched show. Um especially just with the climate that we have to avoid making this show too political. Um, but yeah, so this is, I think this is we're, we're witnessing the death of modern cable and we're seeing the birth of, uh, cord cutting solutions, uh, such as just internet. Um, so 
but yeah, anybody who's in in my scenario, uh, feel free to who who's only going to have one choice. Feel free to let me know how that's worked for you, or if you have any warnings. That would be that would be fantastic. So that way, I know what I'm getting myself into, um, because I know they like to bundle the cable and internet deals. But um, in the end, it's really just a matter of. Um, the subscription costs for all the boxes eventually will add up to more than the cost of the internet subscription. So, um, but yeah, anybody who's been in this scenario, um, let me know. Anybody who will be in this scenario, definitely reach out to me as well. Um, we can never talk about it, but uh, reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook. Um, but yeah, so this is, it's the world we live in. So um, just some interesting, interesting developments from Netflix just, to see them pass, um, to see them pass, uh, what's it called? Comcast. So, um, moving right on to the next topic. Um, I didn't have to include this one. I, this could have been a one-off thing. Um, but the gaming industry lost a very important figure in their community this past week. And that figure, um, was John Bain also known as Total Biscuit. So I just wanted to um, cover a little bit about him. Uh, he was a he was a famous, um, he was also known as Cynical Brit, Total Biscuit. Um, you've probably heard him by one of his many handles across the YouTube, podcasting, uh, social media, etc. Um, he is well known or was well known for um, providing very critical reviews of crappy PC port games and calling out some of the developers on some very bad practices that have been common in video games in the early 2010s and I guess it's called the 20 aughts or the late 20 aughts um, I never I think that's the right term but yeah so um, in 2014 he was diagnosed with cancer um, he had bowel cancer and it um, and they said that he did not have long. Um, so as of April, um, it spread to his liver uh, and that eventually was the thing that took his life. But um, so it's just something that's important to know that there was a, 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 lar- a heavy loss in the gaming community because anybody who's played the game Warframe, arguably this guy is the person that saved that company. Um, he was famous across Twitch, across YouTube. Many people who are around my age probably have memories of watching some of his videos. He did. He was very famous for the WTF Is series where he would um, play a game and just kind of break it down and review it as he played it. So um, I just wanted to take a moment just to provide like a, a memorial, if you will, just because he did mean something to me and it was he was a large factor in contributing to my interest in PC gaming and uh, what kind of kept me into the, the tech space. So I just wanted to, to bring this up and um, and anybody who wants to donate to any services that are looking for cancer research, uh, there's plenty of local hospitals and clinics that you can donate to. Um, and he recommended donating straight to those places, um, donating to some of the larger, um, like big corporations that are built around these donations, um, tend to 
the money tends to get lost in the bureaucracy, if you will, to put it as nicely as possible. Um, but if you donate directly to your local clinic or um, your local research center, it goes straight to the fight. So um, I just wanted to, to mention that as well. So if you if you do know anybody or um, know any or feel for this and want to donate to a cause, then look for your, your local clinic. Um, I there's so many of them, so I, I won't be able to put anything in the show notes for it. Um, but uh, but yeah, so also if you feel like you have any any symptoms of anything, uh, go get checked out just because it's it's easier to um, celebrate that you have nothing than it is to worry about your future if you do have something. So like I said, if whether it's embarrassing or not, if you are experiencing any symptoms, then please go get checked out. Um, but yeah. I just wanted to bring this up just because it's it's an important figure. So um, so one more topic for today. So thank you for bearing with me to anybody who's still in the chat. Um, but we have an important thing that happened this week, and there will be more to come on this later um, once we can get some more research under our belts. Um, and that that beast is called the GDPR, and I'm sure most of you have been um, unable to find any normal emails or any emails that actually hold any value because you've been spammed by privacy policy updates um, and announcements as you open up your phone app saying, we've changed our terms and agreements and like, you have to re-agree and etc. Um, well, that's because of this guy, the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation um, announced in Europe. So um, expect an IFRO explains at some point on this as to what this means to you as a consumer. Um, it's easy to explain what this means for a business or for a large corporation, but it may not necessarily be clear what the GDPR and its protections that come with it, and especially if you're in Europe, um, but also if you're in the United States, because some of these companies are just going to blanket update because it's cheaper for them to do that. So, um, so expect that to come forward in the future. That's going to be a very interesting topic to, to research, and I look forward to seeing um, what that brings for the United States, especially since we aren't going to be getting the primary um, protections brought about by the GDPR. Um, so on to the article at hand. Um, these four companies, um, most notably Google and Facebook, which is the other three logos here. Facebook owns Instagram and WhatsApp, obviously, just uh, leveling the playing field for anybody who was not aware. Uh, so Google and Facebook have been charged with GDPR uh, data protection law violations. And um, they I've seen rumors all over the place, um, but it's in the upper um, like eight or nine, maybe seven, like the, the numbers are all over the place in articles online, but um, billions of dollars in fines that they may face if they don't ad adjust for the GDPR. Um, so the GDPR went into effect, I believe, on the 25th of May. If not, it was this, it was this past week that it went into effect. Um, and the companies are accused of forcing users to consent to targeted advertising to use on their services. Um, they said people were not being given a choice. Um, and if these complaints are upheld, then the websites may be forced to change how they operate and could be fined. So 
as you can obviously gather, Facebook and Google survive primarily off of ad revenue, which is governed by the ability to target ads towards people. And um, while I disagree that, um, while while I disagree that it's their their method. Well, I agree that their methods aren't good. Um, I do think that they do need to take another step back and look into how someone might be able to circumnavigate that. And um, some of these, I believe, you can also clear your profile, um, your the data collected on you, the the right to be forgotten, etc. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how these develop. Um, Europe has always been a huge proponent of data protection and data security, so um, I'm sure this is not going to be the last time that we see Facebook and Google in court with some of these companies. Um, But yeah, pretty much you can't say yes or no to the data protection or to the internet, to the, uh, what's it called, the collection of data for advertising. Um, there's no upfront way to say no. And if you do say no, that just means you can't use the service. And especially Google, it's very hard to use the internet and not have Google in some way, shape or another. Uh, like imagine having to use all of your internet searches on Bing or um, on another search engine, if you will. Uh, not being able to go on YouTube, not being able to go on to Google Drive or Gmail and not being able to use any of their services that they own. Google owns a large number of services. Same with Facebook. For Especially for the non-American listeners of this podcast, they'll be familiar with WhatsApp and not being able to use WhatsApp for a lot of, com- a lot of countries is a death sentence in that it's the primary method of communication for um, most countries, I think, like just to quote an example, I think 90% of all communications in Brazil are through WhatsApp over SMS. Um, just to just to show showcase exactly what's going on around the world for the American listeners who may not who may not think much of these um, side apps. Um, also, Facebook Messenger and Facebook itself um, and Instagram. I know a lot of people. Well, several people, just a, a crisp two billion people use Facebook. So uh, it may be hard for some of them to give it up um, and move people into something else. So, um, but yeah, the, the, actor, the activist group, um, which is run from the company, it's noyb.eu. I don't even want to try to pronounce that out loud. Um, but yeah, they say that customers must agree to having their data collected, shared, and used for targeted advertising or delete their accounts. So this, they suggest, falls foul of the new rules because forcing people to accept wide-ranging data collection in exchange for using a service is prohibited under the GDPR. So it explicitly allows any data processing that is strictly necessary for the service, but using the data additionally for advertising or selling it on the needs of the user's free opt-in consent. So uh, they're very pragmatic. so they need a yes or no option, essentially, is what they're arguing here. And I agree. Um, I think that it would be valuable. Um, I think, I think, actually, I think podcasting has advertising done right. Um, people look for specific groups and dump ads into those pages, dump ads into those podcasts that they feel will be relevant for the audience. So, for example, um, 
say Audible if they wanted to do an ad spot. Audible, which is an Amazon uh, ebook company, might first want to look towards podcasts that are built around perhaps novels, around famous book series, if you will. Um, and they may go into like tech podcasts, but I don't think Audible would be good for like a cooking show or like a like a podcast about history or something like I feel like it would be less valuable there so it's easy for them to to pick a genre and to move their topics into that so I think something similar perhaps could be implemented in Facebook or Google so for example if you're searching for a new smartphone you'll get ads for say like the new OnePlus 6 that was announced or for the Google's Pixel or if you're on Facebook and you're searching for cooking you'll get suggestions for um, like Blue Apron or something like that so I think that that could be a potential way around this so targeted advertising not to you but to the pages that you're browsing Um, and I think that could be um, could be valuable just because the ads are sitting in a fixed place relevant to what you're looking at. Um, that could be a way around it. Um, there's there's several ways you could solve this problem. and uh, But I think the most important aspect of this is just giving people a choice. So hopefully we'll see we'll see what that what that brings about. Um, so I think, it's safe to say that GDPR is going to be changing a lot of the space that we have uh, on the internet. There have been several companies that have announced that the changes with the GDPR are so aggressive that they can no longer operate. So they're just going to shut down. Um, that being said, I don't know if that's truly the case or not, but I think that only time will tell on exactly what um, what this exactly brings for the internet. And like I said, expect some more information to follow up with, um, with the GDPR and our IFRO explains on that topic, because I do want to cover that. I think it's very important and something that needs to, to be clarified, to explain to people, especially Americans, what this means, because I'm sure most of our European listeners are well aware of what GDPR does, or at least aware enough on what the changes mean for them as a whole. Um, So, yeah, um, expect that in the coming weeks at some point. So uh, I look forward to recording that and sharing it with you guys. Um, But that being said... I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. Things moved a, a little bit quicker today. There, there have been um, things have been crazy busy lately. Um, so I apologize, like I said, to our listeners who were expecting a show last week. But um, it having a having a full time career outside of podcasting makes this a little bit more difficult for us. So um, thank you for bearing with us and. Um, I appreciate I appreciate everybody who's come back to listen to episode 52. So um, thanks to all of you guys who showed up. Um, but we're not we're not out of this. We're still going. So um, I just wanted to make that very clear to you guys. Um, but yeah. So like I said, this has been 
episode 52 of I4O. Um, if you liked what you heard, you can catch up with us on any one of our social media platforms. You can find us on you can find us on Facebook, most predominantly. Um, Twitter, which is where we are most active in our stream updates. So if you're looking for updates on the stream itself, please follow us on Twitter. Um, and also you can find us on Instagram. And all of them are listed above here in, for the people watching on the stream. But for those of you who are listening, those handles are Industry40, all spelled out. Um, if you want to subscribe to us you can follow us on any number of platforms we are available on itunes google play stitcher uh, pandora we're available on pretty much every platform out there uh, tune in radio uh, you name it we're we're there um, the only thing i think that we i think spotify had sent us an email saying that there was a delay in getting shows added to their network so we are not yet on spotify as of right now i haven't checked um but uh just as a heads up that will be coming down the pipeline soon so um stay tuned for that um but yeah so like i said this has been episode 52 uh thank you guys for watching and i will see you guys next week 